Well, hello. It appears that if you're a preacher in our church during these times that you have to do something from your shed. Um, my garage, the drawings for that are still being drawn up, so I am in my garden shed. We'll see how it goes. So um, we're looking at Ephesians chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through to 13, and I'll read that from the NIV. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by a revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, for which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promises, sorry, in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Amen. I have before me a, a present now, I want you to imagine the contents of this have been hidden for generations, I guess like a, a time capsule. They've been locked up for the ages only to be revealed in the fullness of time. And should I unwrap this present, I will reveal the great mysteries of God. I wonder what that means, the great mysteries of God being revealed. Does that mean that God will step into our circumstances and free us from all bondage and all suffering? Does it mean that as he steps in, he will vindicate those who trust in God and uphold them as righteous? And the people who oppose God, they will fall away. Maybe God stepping in just means that our circumstances, uh, the difficult world that we're living in at the moment, things will just return to normal. And the passage today is about this great mystery of God. See, Paul reveals the great mystery of God in this passage. So uh, as we look at it, what is this mystery? And also, what does it mean for our present situation? So let's pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 3. And it says this, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. And then it stops. 
stops sort of abruptly and suddenly. And what's really interesting is there's actually no punctuation in my Bible. I don't know what it looks like in yours. But there's no punctuation at the end of this phrase. Why is that? Why is it completely sort of left complete and then Paul picks up and goes on to something else? Well, what's actually happening here is Paul tries to pick up where he last left off in chapter 1 before he got a little bit sidetracked, as he does. The Bible's hard enough to read, isn't it, without Paul getting sidetracked all the time and going off on different tangents. Um, But he gets sidetracked and then he picks it up again at verse 14 where it says, for this reason, so he starts in the same way, I bow my knee to the Father. Um, And so our task today is to look at this part where he gets sidetracked and why it is that he gets sidetracked. And um, the beginning of this is absolutely critical to why he gets sidetracked. He says two things, or there's two important words that he uses that helps us understand this. The first is the word prisoner. He calls himself a prisoner of Christ. Now, um, it's not altogether unusual for Paul to use this sort of imagery, is it? He describes himself as a slave of Jesus or a bondservant, uh, though he's certainly doing that willingly. It's not like he's an actual um, slave. But from that perspective, it's not unusual that Paul would use a word like prisoner. He is a prisoner of the gospel. But in this situation, it's not altogether metaphorical, even though I believe um, Paul is using this imagery deliberately. In this situation, he is under arrest. Um, He is sort of appealed to Caesar and he is awaiting trial and he's in Rome, it it would appear. There are different versions of where he is writing this circular letter, but it appears he is um, in house arrest in Rome. And the reason that he's a prisoner is the second key word in this introductory phrase, it is because of the Gentiles. Now, I'm not saying here that the Gentiles have put him in prison. It's far from that. It's actually the Jews that have put him in prison. You see, Paul, who was a Jew, was preaching the good news of Jesus to people that were not a part of the nation of Israel. And to Jewish people, that is an absolute offence. It actually amounts to heresy. And in Acts 21, we find out that Paul is arrested for teaching against the law, the Jewish law. So he wasn't teaching against the Roman law or whatever. He was uh, teaching against the Jewish law and for bringing Greeks, non-Jews, into the temple area, defiling the holy place. Now, I want to say that the situation... The situation that Paul is in presents a problem. You see, Paul is a preacher. And I kind of know that as a preacher, when the word of God is on your heart, you just got to share it. It's really hard to keep it bottled up inside. Even if I I didn't want to preach the gospel, um, it would be very hard for me not to because God would sort of uh, stir my heart and it would want to come out. But if Paul is under house arrest, Um, then kind of presents a problem because he can't get out and preach the gospel. And we would have expected that he would um, have spoken to large crowds. He he primarily went into the synagogues, um, the Jewish places of worship in order to preach. 
But in Ephesus, there were some larger areas as well. Um, there was one theatre, it's called, that has um, seating capacity of 20, 24 or 25,000. Um, and so I don't know if Paul um, preached here or not. I have read somewhere that um, some thought he did. Um, but he's used to preaching to a large number of people and now he's under house arrest. And it would seem to me that that could actually thwart uh, or at least frustrate the purposes and plans uh, of God, particularly for Paul. And so how does Paul respond to this? Well, it's quite surprising, actually, because the tone of his, his writing is certainly not one of bitterness. It's not one of resentment. It's not even one of frustration. Instead, Paul actually delights in it. It just doesn't seem right. He, does, he delights in it. And this is why he gets so sidetracked, because he talks about his imprisonment, he talks about the Gentiles, and then he has to talk because he's, he's a preacher and the word bottled up just doesn't work. It has to get, get out there. And he wants to talk about this mystery that has to do with the Gentiles, a mystery that has been hidden for ages. It has not been made known to previous generations, but has been made clear to Paul. And the mystery is this. We'll read in verse 6. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. So that's the mystery, that the Gentiles are included in God's plan. Well, yeah, I think I already knew that. And I suspect that a lot of you listening today already knew that as well, that other nations, not just Jews, are included in the purpose of God. Now, if you're a Christian and you're not a Jew, if you don't have Jewish heritage, then you already know that, don't you? And to be honest, I was expecting a little bit more from this great mystery that is being revealed by Paul. And maybe it's because I'm not a Jew. Maybe if I had lived in the first century and if I was a Jew, maybe I'd see this truth or this great revelation a little bit more. Then again, maybe not. You see, this is a no new innovation. Paul has not made this up. He has not just suddenly discovered that the Gentiles were part of God's plan. You see, Paul was, um, by his own admission, an apostle to the Gentiles. But he was also thoroughly Jewish. He is described as a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was taught by the great Hebrew teacher Gamaliel. He was so fervent in his Jewishness that he persecuted Christians. Paul was a great Jew. And as a great Jew, he knew extremely well the story of Abraham. Now, in Hebrews, it tells us that Abraham is, um, is the father of many nations, which is relevant here, but also that he's the father of faith. And um, it teaches us that by faith you are included in the great purposes and plan of God. But that's not a Hebrews innovation. That is there in the Genesis text. And so Paul would have known this, that faith is the means by which people can be included in the plans of God. 
And to go on from there, it was also spoken about through the prophets. Um, in Isaiah 42 and 49, it talks about um, Israel's mission as a light to the Gentiles. In Joel, it says, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. All, not just all Jews, all people, all nations. I don't know if you know much about Mount Zion in the Old Testament, but Mount Zion is a place where um, this is the central place of Jewish worship. And we've got the temple there, and from Mount Zion will go out the word of God, but there's this imagery in both Amos and Isaiah where people are flocking to Mount Zion as well. So the word goes out, but the people of all nations, they come in. Israel's mission was always to be a light to the Gentiles. Of course, they failed in it time and time again. But what I'm trying to say is this. It is no new teaching that Paul is coming up with here. The Gentiles were always part of God's plan, and Paul knew that. I'll just digress um, for a moment. You might have um, picked up that I'm using both the word Gentiles and also the word nations. And when I use them, I'm using them uh, interchangeably. They mean the same thing. Uh, they come from the same Greek word, um, ethne, which obviously we get um, our word ethnic from. Uh, Gentiles seems more appropriate um, for Paul's context, non-Jews. Whereas our context, it probably makes more sense to translate it as nations, the people of the world, the people of all nations. But why this sudden excitement from Paul to talk about this mission uh, to the Gentiles, which he already knew about and, and Jewish people already knew about? What is this sudden mystery that has been revealed then? Well, the first aspect um, to the nations being included in God's plan is that they aren't just blessed through Israel. I don't know if you know the story in Matthew's gospel where there's um, crumbs that fall from the table and those crumbs that fall from the table uh, are taken by a, a, a Gentile woman and she's saying, yeah, I can... Jesus actually says that the, the, um, his mission is first and foremost to the Jews. And she says, yes, but even the dogs eat the crumbs from the table, which means the banquet is there for the Jewish people and the crumbs that fall down, the uh, Gentiles can receive that. So they, they receive the overflow of the blessing to the nation of Israel. It's not like that. Paul now sees that because of Christ, this is not the case. Now, um, I know Jesus was talking about it, first of all, to the Jews. But once his death and resurrection has happened, all of that changes. Everything is now in Christ. So, yes, through, the, through um, Israel, the nation would be blessed. The nations would be blessed. But now in Christ, the nations get far more than just that, those crumbs overflowing. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with um, uh, the practices of more liturgical churches than ours, um, but children are often not old enough um, or they haven't done their confirmation class in order to take communion. And so when they go up for um, communion, they might have um, the priest lay a hand on their head and give them a blessing. And what we're saying here is that the Gentiles um, aren't in, in Paul's 
um, mystery that's being revealed, the Gentiles aren't those who just receive a blessing, the overflow, the crumbs from the table. What we're saying is that they are full citizens because of Christ. They're not just visa holders. They are natural-born family members, not visitors, not even adoptees. They receive the full inheritance as legitimate and natural children. They are the family of God and, and by the same means as the Jews, by faith. Now, what does that mean for us here? Well, I guess it means uh, we almost have to have to consider ourselves to be Jewish, don't we? And how um, our faith then overflows to the other people. So how do you consider those people who are outside the church to those other nations? Are they the people that God will bless through you? Well, yes, they are. But that's just the um, Jewish view here. Do you see that no matter who they are, whether they're rich, whether they're poor, whether they're a child, whether they're an adult, whether they're a man or a woman, arrogant or humble, intelligent or not sure how to contrast that one, let's go with below average intelligence, whether they're sick or healthy, a Jew or a Gentile, they too, by faith, can be incorporated as a full member of the family of God. And this has always been God's plan, yet we never saw it this broad. This is as, is as inclusive as it gets to be part of the family of God by faith. Now, it is true that the Gentile inclusion as full members of God's family is part of the mystery that is being revealed here. It is a great revelation um, that this has happened. And if this is a revelation for you today, that you too could be part of the family of God by faith, then please make sure you speak to someone about it. It will be the best decision that you've ever made to be part of God's family, to have full citizen, uh, to be a full citizen as part of that family. But there's also something more here about the great mystery that Paul has discovered. It is something very relevant to Paul's imprisonment and very relevant, I believe, to the situation that we are in today. And we'll return to verse 6 where it says, well, I don't really need to read my Bible much. I'm just referring to the end bit where it says, in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. It's actually really easy to miss at the end there because obviously the Bible references Jesus so much. But those three words, in Christ Jesus, make all the difference here. You see, in Christ Jesus is something that is not in the Jewish understanding at all. It is something that completely catches them off guard, takes them, uh, I guess they're taken back. They're offended by what is being said here in Christ Jesus. Now, of course, they were accept, um, expecting a Messiah someone to come in and rescue them from their present circumstances. But the person they had imagined was not a Jesus Christ. And why not? Why was Jesus Christ such an offence an offense to the Jewish people? Why was this mystery that is hidden for generations not palatable to their ears? 
Well, part of the answer to that lies in the book of Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy, it says that anyone who hangs on a tree is cursed by God. And the cross is obviously wooden made of a tree. Cursed? You see, the Messiah cannot be cursed. Christ, therefore, cannot be the Messiah because he was cursed by God because he was hung on a tree. Christ, as the Messiah, was a complete insult to the Jewish messianic hopes. This crucified Messiah is, of course, also foolishness to um, the Greek-speaking world, the Gentiles, and also, I guess, to our situation, who seeks wisdom. This isn't wise at all. The Son of God being crucified on a cross, a Roman cross. So what's the point of all of this? What am I trying to say? Well, I'm saying that the mystery that is being revealed, whereby all nations are full members of God's family by faith, is achieved through the most ridiculous and unimaginable way. By God, the Messiah, dying on a cross. And what does that mean? Well, it means that if God could achieve his purposes for the whole of humanity to reconcile the world to himself, and if he could achieve that by hanging on a cross, then absolutely no situation you find yourself in, even Paul's imprisonment, but no situation that you find yourself in could thwart the purposes and sovereign plan of God. And I mean that. I mean, let's consider the most absurd situation that we could find ourselves in. Let's say, for example, that the government um, who is headed up at the moment by, or it's got a, a Christian as the prime minister. Let's say that the government decided that churches could no longer meet together. I, I know it's a ridiculous statement. It's absurd to think that something like that would happen. Well, if that happened, that cannot thwart the purposes of God. In fact, if Christ's death on the cross could mean life to all in such a paradox, then even such a government order could actually aid the spread of the gospel. Anything is possible with God. And it could even aid the fellowship that we have amongst believers, couldn't it? Even though we're apart um, by distance. Well, let's imagine another ridiculous thing then. Let's imagine that we're not allowed to go out of our houses. Uh, absurd, I know. Um, but bear with me on this one. See, what I find amazing about Paul in his situation is that he did not consider in any way that his imprisonment was a burden on the gospel, despite the fact that he was a preacher and needed to preach to um, crowds of people. And we say it again, if Christ hanging on the cross could reconcile people to God, then the mystery of the gospel will still be proclaimed even when we face the most dire of circumstances. We might not have church meeting together. We might not have people flocking to our Zion, which is our church. But we do have families meeting together. What I um, really like is the fact that there's not a lot of football discussion at the moment. It's quite, I, I love my football, but it's quite refreshing. And it means that 
people are left to discuss real issues, issues about their place in this life, um, issues about morality, about government control, about the freedom of an individual. Um, so people are actually starting to talk about freedom a bit. Um, and I reckon this is one of the most extraordinary claims in this passage. You see, in verse 12, um, and I'll, uh, I'll read it. Verse 12, it says, In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Um, now, the NIV uses the word freedom here. The, the ESV also translates it well with um, confidence. Um, the word parasia can be translated a, a confidence or a boldness or a freedom. And generally, it pertains to speech. Um, now, I actually think freedom is the best translation here because it kind of contrasts Paul, the fact that Paul is in prison. Prison, we don't think of as freedom. We think of it as bound up, shackled up, unable to do things. Yet in Paul's present situation, he's saying, even though I'm under house arrest, effectively in prison, I, abs I have absolute full freedom. Now, um, I noted with interest this week um, the US protests. They were, um, there was a whole group of them, um, about 2001 rally in um, Washington state, and they're protesting against the heavy handed restrictions of the uh, US government. Um, and some were holding up signs that were saying, Land of the Free and talking about the freedom that they have in the United States, and this is taking away their freedom. Um, it's interesting that this was happening when the death toll was um, sort of gone up and the daily death toll has gone up and down, but it got over 4,000 people at one point. Uh, during the week, um, it ticked over 42,000 people um, that had died in the United States. And one um, epidemiologist and public health scientist was um, predicting that a, there would be a surge in COVID-19 cases as, the, as a result of the freedom of these protesters. So what does Paul say about freedom? Um, well, he certainly believes in the right of the individual to speak their voice. That's why he has such boldness, such confidence, such freedom. And he does but, um, agree that um, Christians um, should uphold the right of the in individual. And we believe that as Christians because if everyone is created in the image of God, then the rights of the individual should be uh, maintained. It's one of the um, essential things to the fabric of Western society that originated um, with Christianity. Yet should my liberty to go fishing, and that was one of the issues that the protesters had, should my right to go fishing impinge on my brother's right to stay healthy or to stay alive? See, surely if Paul is in prison here, he does not consider freedom the right of the individual to do whatever they please. He is defining Christian freedom as the access that we have to Christ. And this is quite, quite incredible. Paul is under house arrest and he speaks of freedom because he knows Christ. And what does that mean for us then? Well, it, it means this, that whatever circumstances we're faced with, we should have the attitude of Paul because he knows that in whatever circumstances, we don't look to our imprisonment, but we look to Christ. The freedom that we have as a Christian 
is not in our circumstances, but in Christ. It is he that sets us free. And second, it means that we continue to look to ways to spread the good news of Christ. Paul could no longer preach in the open spaces and the synagogues. Yet he knew that the mystery of God was still being revealed through him. What an incredible thing to know. As we live our lives, as different as they might be at the present moment, do we still have that hope? Do we still know that whatever circumstances we are in, the nations will come to Zion because God is at work going out from Zion? Um, we sort of heard last week that the, you know, the temple of, the, of God is now within us. So Zion, um, the word going out from Zion is the word going out from us. You see, if we chose, um, if God chose, sorry, to save the world through the apparent awful circumstances of the crucified Messiah, then God can do extraordinary things in our present circumstances. His plans will not be thwarted. And that is why Paul goes on to say, therefore, do not lose heart in my suffering for you. Um, I'll read that part. So right at the end in verse 13, I ask you, therefore, do not be discouraged because of my suffering for you, which, uh, which are your glory. And um, it seems that there, there were people to whom this letter was circulating that, that were really concerned about Paul in his imprisonment. And he says, don't worry about that. The gospel is still being revealed even when I'm in prison. Now, none of us knows what lies ahead in this rapidly changing world. Uh, will we be allowed out of the state um, at the moment? No. Will we be allowed out of our houses at the moment? Yes, but in limited ways. Will I be able to go fishing or, for me, more kayaking this year? I don't know. Will our church open again this year? I don't know. And that's the answer to so many of our questions at the moment. I, I don't know. But what we do know is this. The nations of the world are included in God's plan, not just to receive the crumbs from the table, but to be received into full membership with full rights as members of God's family. And this, that God's plan for achieving this will not be thwarted, not by our individual circumstances, not by financial hardship, not by life-changing viruses, not even by church closures or social distancing. For if God can act to bring about his purposes through a crucified Messiah, then so too he can act to bring about his purposes for creation through any circumstances of the world. And that is a, the great mystery that has now been revealed. Amen.